We're going to continue with our our series on Genesis once again this morning, working our way through those opening chapters of Genesis uh, and and the the beginnings is what we're calling this series. And this morning, we're going to spend another week here on Genesis 3. We're actually going to all together spend three weeks on Genesis 3. This is our second one. And and I kind of want to give you an idea of, of how to think about Genesis 3. This is one of those really essential key chapters in Scripture. First uh, chapters, uh, 1 and 2, we talked about the Garden of Eden uh, and how God created everything perfect and everything was just the way it was supposed to be. Chapter 3 is the last thing that takes place in the Garden of Eden, okay? It's the events that lead to the fall of man, and it's, and it's everything falling apart. At, at this point, at the beginning of chapter 3, God has given Adam and Eve only one commandment, one prohibition. There is one thing they can't do, and that one thing they can't do is they cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in order to kind of give us a picture of, of, of this morning's sermon, I'm going to change the image a little bit, and I'm going to suggest that this morning what we want to think about is that the commandment was not don't eat from the tree, but the, the commandment to Adam and Eve was don't knock the vase over. Okay, don't knock the vase over. Uh, in, in a sense, again, it wasn't that the, the, the act itself was so bad, it was the heart that we talked about that, that where the problem was. And so what we talked about last week in 3, 1 to 7, is, is that the serpent comes along. And convinces Adam and Eve to disobey God and and to put themselves in God's place, okay? We talked about that last week of how Adam and Eve, you know, saw that and they they took a bite from the tree. And, And again, to use this image, in a sense what we saw last week is that they knocked the vase over, okay? They, they knocked the vase over. They disobeyed God. They put themselves in God's place. And in verse 7, where we kind of ended last week, uh, Adam and Eve go and hide, Think about a little kid when they do something wrong. Even before anything else happens, they run out of the room, right? That's what Adam and Eve are doing. They're, they're running out of the room. The next section, the section that we're going to look at this morning, 3, 8 to 20, is when everything breaks. And, and so in a sense, what happened last week is they pushed it off. And this week, what we see happening, the tile broke again. <laughs> The wrong thing broke. Okay, so God gave him. So God gave him a tile. I broke. It's a long story. God gave him a tile, and they knocked the tile. They threw the glass against it, and who would guess that the tile would break? But the tile broke. Okay. And, and, and so what we get in this next section, okay, everything is, is broken. And what we get in this next section is, is we see the results of sin, okay? We see the results of sin. We see what is broken. And so in some ways, in some ways this morning is kind of depressing. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that right up front. But I think we need to understand the darkness to understand salvation. We needed to understand how high God was and how good God was in order to understand what it was to fall into sin. And we need to understand how far down we've gone. We need to understand everything that is broken. We need to understand how everything has fallen apart. And so what I want to do this morning is go through Genesis 3, 8 through 20. Genesis 3, 8 through 20, and look at what is broken because of sin. And I'm going to talk about five things, about five things. And as I go through these, you are going to see how these things just are present in our lives and all that's wrong. And it all gets traced back to, again, not so much an act of eating as a disobedient heart. As a, as a refusal to obey God. And when we do that, when Adam and Eve did that, and we did that in Adam and Eve, everything twisted. Five things. The first one is this. Our relationship with God is broken, okay? 
The first thing that happens because of Adam and Eve and because of our sin is that it separates us. It breaks that relationship with God. The fact is we were created to walk with God. We were created to walk with God and to be with God and to have fellowship with God. And Adam and Eve had that in the garden. Genesis 3 verse 8. Then in the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You get the impression that this happened pretty regularly, right? That God would come down maybe every afternoon and, 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 and God would just be with Adam and Eve. And can you imagine just walking through the garden and being able to talk with God and being able to, to spend time with God, being able to get a hug from God and being able to just say, God, I love you. And there's nothing in the way. That's what was supposed to be happening. God comes to do this and what happens? Adam and Eve hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This relationship that was supposed to be so close now is one in which we hide. Adam and Eve don't want to be in God's presence anymore. Before, when God would come into the garden on the cool of the day, Adam and Eve would run to be with him. They would want to be close to him, but now they start to hide. Now they run away. They don't want to look into God's eyes. They don't want to see what they've done to God. They don't want to acknowledge it, and they don't want to see themselves Think of this. They don't want to see themselves in the light of God's holiness. They don't want to come to grips with what they've done. They were hiding, and that is now the human condition. The fact of the matter is, one of the things that broke is that even as God comes to us, we are hiders. I was thinking about it as we sang some of the songs this morning. We talk about, God, I just want to see you. I want to know you. God, I want to be in your presence. And I thought, not completely, The fact is, because of sin, I really don't want to be completely in God's presence. Because if I ever am completely in God's presence, I would see the darkness fully in my own heart. And in a sense, I don't think any of us could stand that. I don't think any of us could understand, could really grasp, could live with seeing just how broken we are. And so we hide from God. Some people hide from God by denying he exists. I think for me and for many of us, one of the ways we hide from God is, is we only kind of focus on his loving side. We, we kind of turn off his holiness, kind of turn that off, and we say, well, God is just going to, you know, he just likes to forgive everything, and everything is okay. And, and, and we say, oh, no, I do want to be with God. No, we only want to be with the nice God. But the nice God is also the holy God, and we hide from that. We hide from honestly being broken. We hide from honestly confessing our sins and and as much as we want to be restored in that relationship there's also a part of us that still wants to say but God I want to do it myself God I want to do it myself even as we I mean when we say Lord take it all I surrender no human being has ever been able to do that other than Jesus Christ God I say I surrender all I say I don't want to hide anymore but I still do I still do And that relationship with God, which is the source of life, is broken, and it doesn't work the way. Even in its restored state through Jesus Christ, it still doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And so we hide, but there's grace here as well, because the God out of his love, God seeks. I I thought about this. God is a seeker. We used to do seeker services here, because we said we had people who were seeking God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the good news is God seeks us. We run away from God, but God comes after us. God comes into the garden, and in Genesis 3, verse 9, he says this, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? 
God knows, okay? God seeks. God knows where they are. You've got to understand that. God knows where they are. He's not asking because he's saying, Adam, I don't know where you are. Eve, I can't find you. You know, God knows exactly where they are. God knows exactly what they've done. But out of his love, he is still coming after them. He is seeking. And what I want to suggest, the reason he asks, where are you, is because what he really wants is he wants Adam and Eve to know where they are. This is not a, a question to benefit God. It's a question to benefit Adam and Eve. It's a question to benefit you. It's a question to benefit me. Do I know where I am? Because I have a tendency to say, I'm fine. I have a tendency to say, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Do I know where I am? Do I know that I'm separated from God? Uh, Again, I think about this in our world today, and and so many of us struggle with being honest about this. And and I think of people who don't know Christ. In a sense, the the challenge, and and I think about this, I think about my neighbors who don't know Christ, about family members who don't know Christ, and and, and one of my struggles is helping them to know where they are, because they think they're fine, they think they're okay, they think they're good enough, and what I want to say is, no, you got to find out where you are. Before we can come home, we got to know where we are. Think think of it this way, this is a map of, of Rivertown Crossing Mall, okay? And, 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 you know, you go into a mall like this and you find a map like this and it tells you where all the stores are. So I was just thinking, let's imagine that um, tomorrow I decide to bite the bullet and get a belly button ring, okay, a piercing, right, uh, at Claire's. Now I can know that this is where Claire's is in the mall, okay? I can know that this is where I'm going to get my belly button pierced. I'm sorry, I just lost some of you for the rest of the sermon, didn't I, with that image? <laughs> but I, you know, this is Claire's. Knowing that is one thing, but there's something else I need to know, Right? I need to know where am I. I I need to know where I'm starting. If you have a map that just has a destination, it doesn't do you any good unless you know where you're starting. Then you can say, okay, now I know where I got to go. And so when God comes to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? What he's saying is, do you know where you are? And it's grace. It's grace. We're going to see in, in, in the rest of the next week especially, but sometimes God's grace takes a pretty strong form. Sometimes it feels really difficult. Sometimes it feels like an accusation. You can say, well, this feels like, a, God, this is not an accusation. This is an invitation. He wants Adam and Eve to know. He wants us to know where we are because we can't get home until we know where we are. God is a seeker, but we are hiders. So the first thing is our relationship with God is broken. The second thing is this, our relationship with each other is broken. When sin enters the world, the second thing that's, that's cracked is our relationship with each other is broken. Here's how this goes, 310. He answered, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Not a bad start. He at least acknowledges that he's outside of it, okay? So you kind of get a little hope there. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then we see what Adam does next. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. You see what happens? You see what happens? Our relationship with each other. We were created to help each other. We talked about that, how how God created Eve as an edzer canigno, as a helper, counterpartner, as somebody to be there, to walk alongside, to encourage, to comfort, to challenge, to strengthen, to just be what Adam couldn't be on his own. They were created to this, and, and she was created to be a helper, and he was created to be a helper. We were created by God to be helpers, but you know what? Now we throw each other under the bus. 
That is one of the heart things that sin does to us. It, it, it causes us to just be willing to throw anybody under the bus. Adam comes, and God comes to Adam, and God says, you know what, Adam, did, 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 how did this happen? Did you eat from the tree? And what's the first thing he does? It was the woman. Actually throws God under the bus. The woman you gave me, I was fine until you made a woman, God. But it was the woman who gave it to me. And what is Adam willing to do? He is willing to sacrifice Eve now. He is willing to throw her under the bus in order to protect himself. He is willing to make her pay the price. And he does not protect her. We were created by God to protect each other, to sacrifice, to save each other, to, sa- to, to serve each other. And, and all of a sudden, it, it, it all changes. We went, think about this. We went from, I will sacrifice me for you, to I will sacrifice you for me. And that is now our, our, our human situation. That is now what we do. Our relationship with God is broken, and now with each other. As my spouse, I am supposed to, with Tammy, I am supposed to protect her. I am supposed to take every hit that I can. But you know what? You shoot a bullet her way, I step out. My, my problem is now I step out of the way, and I let her get hit. Instead of saying, no, I'll take this one. And every one of us has a tendency to do that. Every one of us has a tendency to throw a friend, to throw a spouse, to throw a child, to throw a parent under the bus and to make somebody else pay. And every day we do that. In a sense, what Adam says was true. I think we need to recognize that. We, we justify it. We say it's true. I want to say God doesn't care. I'm not calling for Adam to lie. But I'm calling for Adam to say, God, it's my fault. I blew it. And if God says, well, didn't she give it to you? She did. But you know what? I made my choices. I did it wrong. I should have helped her. I should have talked. I should have not let her do it. I should, he should. That's what we're called to do for each other. That's what you're called to do for your spouse. That's what you're called to do for your parents. It's what I'm called to do for my kids. I mean, but instead, we step out of the way. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, we have to understand that we find it really hard now to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what we were created to do. But think about it. Ask yourself, think of a neighbor who's got a kid maybe or a friend who's got a kid maybe about the same age as yours. Think of somebody in that situation. How do you honestly react in your heart when you find out kids scored a perfect, what is it, 36 on the ACT? I know what you're going to say, wow, that's great. But if you're like me, inside you're going to be going, my kid stinks. Your kid got no friends. He's a nerd, right? I mean, that's what I'm going to be saying. Because I can't rejoice when you rejoice because your success is my failure. God created us that your success is my success and my success is your success. But now because of sin, your success is my failure. Do you know how hard it is for me to celebrate people who have gone and, and, and pastors who have churches that are just doing really well you know how much fun it is when they fail I'll never say that to them or in a specific situation but you know when that kid with the 36 on his ATC goes to ACT goes to to college and then drinks and gets kicked out or whatever it takes to get kicked out isn't there a little part of you that goes see I knew it See, we were created to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, but because of sin, it gets all twisted up. Because of sin, it gets all broken up, and now I find myself in my natural state. I am now weeping when you rejoice 
and I'm rejoicing when you weep. And I need God to fix me. It is just broken, and I am broken. Eve is no better. She blames the serpent. Then the Lord God, verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The the serpent deceived me and I ate. We, We throw anything, anybody. We protect ourselves. We are there, and it's just wrong, okay? And and relationships that should be so life-giving become broken. So our relationship with God breaks because of sin. Our relationship with each other is broken because of sin. The third thing that happens, it breaks because of sin, is a long, long, deadly battle is begun. A long, long, deadly battle is begun. Verses 14 and 15. First of all, three things I want to notice about this. First of all, war is declared between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of of the servant, serpent rather. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity. Eugene Peterson in the message says, I'm declaring war. God's speaking here. I'm declaring war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And because of sin, we are now in a world where we are constantly under attack. Because of sin, we are now in a world where, where you have an enemy. The offspring of the, of the serpent, I, I think, you know, again, Demons, powers of darkness, evil, sin, all that stuff is, is the offspring of the serpent. It's, it, 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 it's those powers in this world that are against us. It's those powers in this world. It's not just that the world is broken. It's now that we have an enemy who at every turn would like to see us destroyed. He is God's ultimate enemy, and he can't destroy God, so his desire is to do as much damage to God's people as possible. And so because of our disobedience, we are now involved in a lifelong deadly battle. The offspring of the woman is God's people. So that's the first thing. Just war is declared between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. Second, um, and and I think this is important for us to remember, is that the power of the serpent is limited, okay? The power of the serpent is limited. Let's go back to verse 14. Interesting verse here. So the Lord God said to the serpent, okay, the serpent is the one who deceived Eve. The Lord God speaks first to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you, above all livestock and all wild animals. The, the, the serpent, if you remember, was more crafty than all the wild animals. Now he's more cursed. The serpent is more cursed. And then these words, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. What does that mean? Some people have suggested, and, and I don't think we can know one way or the other on this, although I don't think we, it, it means it. But some people have said, well, the serpent before this had, had legs and arms. The serpent was able to, to crawl on the, and, and what happens here is God knocks those off and it becomes a snake that slithers. And so that's why it crawls on the ground. I, I don't know if that's, that could be, that might not be. We really don't get a clear indication of that. What I think, and, and again, John Walton is the one who kind of uh, writes about this, but what I think what, what's really going on here is, Walton says, you know, if you think about a snake, what does a snake do before it attacks? It raises up its head, right? A, a serpent is more dangerous when it can be aggressive, when it raises up its head and then it attacks. It, it, it comes up and then it bites, and, and it can bite where it will, and it can do what it will. And so a serpent that's able to do that. Now, we're not talking about a literal snake here because some literal snakes can do that, but we're talking about the evil one. And and I think what God is saying here is, you're not going to be able to do whatever you want with my people. You are not going to be free to strike them wherever, but you are going to be be limited. You're going to be limited in what you can do. You're going to crawl on the ground. You're going to be eating dust. You're going to have to stay low. And then in verse 15, and we'll come back to this again in a moment, but it says, and you will strike his heel. The serpent will strike the offspring of Eve in the heel. Now, that can still be a deadly blow. That can still be a painful blow. 
but it is not the same. And, and so what I think hap- is happening here is that Satan is still dangerous, but he is limited in what he can do. When God curses the, the serpent like this, I, I think the primary thing we need to recognize is God is saying, you're limited. Think of the book of Job. Some of you are familiar with that story. But at the beginning of the book of Job, uh, God is talking with Satan, um, which is an interesting thought. But God is talking with Satan, and God says to Satan, have you, have you noticed my servant Job? He's faithful. He's good. And Satan says, let me at him. Let me see what I can do. And God says, okay, but you can only go this far. And the reason I think that's important is for us to know when we are facing battles with sin, God has limited the power of sin. Satan cannot do more to, to us than God will allow him. Now, why does God allow him to do anything? That's a great question. I don't have an answer for it, and we're not going to talk about that right now. But the fact is, I can promise you this. God has put a limit on, on the evil that Satan can do in our world. God has put a limit on, on the damage that, that the evil one can do. Some of you know what it's like to be involved in very direct spiritual warfare, and it's scary. Um, we had a situation not too long ago here with some, and, and it's a really scary thing. But I need to keep reminding myself that God has put a limit. God has said only this far, and it still hurts, and it's still dangerous, but God has put a limit on what that is. So the power of the serpent is limited. So there's war that is declared. The power of the serpent is limited. And the third thing, Satan will ultimately be, be destroyed. In this battle, we can know. God promises us that. Again, in the midst of all that is broken, God is saying, you know what, I will put it back together. Genesis 3.15, he's talking to the serpent again, and he says, he, the offspring of, of Eve, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Okay? The, the, there is a limit to what Satan can do, and ultimately there is a promise there is a promise that Satan will be defeated. Now, who's the one who does that? Most of us, I think, uh, not, I don't know how many of us, many of us have been told, well, that's, that's Jesus, right? The offspring of the woman is Jesus, and I think that's true. I don't think Moses had that in mind, but what we see later on is that Jesus is the one who on the cross and rising again crushes the, the head of Satan, crushes the power of the dark, the dark one, and, and it's Jesus who does that. But there's something else that the Bible makes clear. There's something else that the Bible makes clear, that we, the church, will also crush Satan, that we are part of that. This verse, um, Romans, uh, Genesis 3.15, that I just had it up on the screen about, that he will crush your head. It's only quoted once in the New Testament, okay? It's only quoted once in the New Testament, and it doesn't refer to Jesus. Now, I think it could. Uh, it, I think it clearly is Jesus is the one who crushes Satan, but it's only quoted once. And you know what it's quoted about? You, the church, Look at this, Romans 16, verse 20. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's talking to the church. He's not saying the God of peace will soon crush Satan under Jesus' feet. He's saying the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so you know what we get to do? We get to stomp snakes. When we love others in Jesus' name, we're stomping snakes. Stomping snakes. I, I thought about it yesterday. We had a, a, a memorial service here for somebody who's not a member of this church, and there were only a few of us from the church who were here. But there were about 130 other people. And they were overwhelmed because you all made food, and you all volunteered, and you all helped. And they said, what in the world is going on? What is with you folks? And, and by making them recognize that the world doesn't have to stay in its broken state, that not everybody is just after themselves, but that sometimes people serve each other. You know what? Y'all stomped on some snakes' heads yesterday. 
You stomp on a snake's head when you serve in Jesus' name. You stomp on a snake's head when you befriend a kid in high school who nobody else will sit by. You're stomping on the snake. God will crush. The God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. And and, and so we're a part of that. God works through us. It's, I just think, a really cool image to think about that we, the church, will also crush Satan. So, relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. A long, deadly, deadly battle has begun. And then two more things. The next one is this. The woman's life is going to be difficult. God turns to Eve and speaks to her. The first thing, two things he's going to talk about with her. The first one is struggle and childbearing including conception, all right? Genesis 3.16 says this, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. The, the Hebrew word for childbearing there includes conception, okay? This is the whole thing, the whole process. And, and, and what God is saying here is this, this event that God created to be wonderful and joyful, and we still have a flavor of that. But, but having a child, that th- an event that should be wonderful and joyful and life-giving is now full of pain and full of struggle and full of suffering. And, and I was thinking about it, especially for those of you who know what it's like to struggle with conceiving a child. For those of you who know what it's like to conceive a child, struggle conceiving a child, you know why that is? It's because we live in a broken world. It's because in Adam and Eve, we rebelled against God, and things just don't work the way they're supposed to. And it hurts so much. When I think about the pain it is of a couple who just struggles with having kids, it hurts so much. Those of you who had miscarriages, it hurts so much. There is so much pain in that. I think we can even say, you know, being a mom, being a dad, being a parent, it, it, it should be so life-giving, but it becomes so painful. Now, I want to just make one thing clear about this. As we think about this, don't hear me saying at all, well, if you're having struggle with con- a struggle with conception, it's because you sinned. No, it's because we live in a broken world, okay? It's because this is, don't, don't, and that's part of the problem. I mean, every, every, when I talk to people who are struggling with, with childbirth and with getting pregnant and so on, it's like, what, did I do something wrong? Did I sin some way? Does God think I'd be a lousy parent? No, it's just part of being in a broken world. And you and I are born into and live in a broken world. And so God says to, to Eve, you know what, there's going to be a struggle in childbearing. And, and then this, really interesting to think about. It. Her relationship with Adam will be painful, okay? Again, the rest of 316, uh, with painful labor, you'll give birth to children. And in these words, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Really important verse really important section of a verse there two things that that verse says okay first of all she will desire him okay she will desire him what does that mean is desire bad is it wrong i i think again what we have to see is think about it this way adam and eve were created and i think genesis 1 and 2 make it clear to be a, a clear partnership a counter partnership but to be there for each other to encourage each other and to serve each other and to lift each other up but but what happens because of sin is is i think kind of this really describes two things that happened. For Eve, that, that need for that relationship was increased. And for Adam, he cooled off. For Eve, she needed him more. Her desire w- grew to a place where she became dependent on it in an unhealthy way. We talk about interdependence, where Eve now, Eve wants the relationship, 
and Adam is pulling away. Adam is pulling away. Again, I want to be real careful about stereotypes, but I think we see that sort of thing, right? There's so many times I hear women saying, I wish I could know my husband. I wish I could talk to him. I wish he'd share what's on his heart. And husbands are going, I got nothing on my heart. I don't really have many feelings, right? And there's this ongoing desire where she wants to get closer and he's further apart. And that leads to the second thing. That leads to, I think, I think this is what leads to he will rule over here. In any relationship, think about it, you all know this, in any relationship, any deal, any negotiation, the person who needs it more is always in the person of position of weakness, right? If you're selling your house, you want to not care if you sell it. You want the other person to have no place to live. You want the other person to have their stuff arriving, and they need your house a lot more than you need your house. Then what are you in? You are in a position of strength. And that's what's going on. Eve needs Adam. Adam pulls away, and that gives him the ability to manipulate. That gives him ability to lord it over. That gives him ability to, to control. And she said, but I need you. And he's like, I don't need you, so I can just crush you. And, and so a marriage relationship that was intended to be alive and dynamic, male-female relationships that were intended to be, now become places of power and subjection and control, Okay. And and, and let me say one really important thing here. This is a result of sin. And if we are in Christ, we must fight against this. Husbands, you are called in Christ to fight against that tendency to say, I can use this because she needs me more than I need her. And you're called to go back. And wives, you're called to, to, to be strong enough and to not just say, I'll do whatever he says but to invite him to become all God created him to be. Again, I'm not talking, I mean, ultimately there's that counter, that counter partner, Kenigdo, we talked about that, where it's a relationship that's alive and dynamic and challenging and encouraging and loving and serving. And it's become something else. But in Christ, we are to reverse the curse, right? In Christ, we are to change that around. So don't come to me and tell me, well, yeah, but this is just the way it is now. <laughs> no, it's the way it is, but it's what we've got to fight against. And it's what we've got to change. We see the result of this, of, of Adam having more power in, in, in verse 20. Adam named Eve. You know, up to this point, she's only been the woman. And naming something gives you power over it. And, and so this line that we don't think that much about, Adam named Eve, his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living, a nice name, but it still indicates control. And in Christ, we get back to mutuality, all right? So her relationship with Adam is hurt. She struggles in childbearing. Her relationship with Adam is hurt. The woman's life is going to be more difficult than the man's life is going to be difficult. Work is going to be painful. It's just not going to go. Genesis three seventeen to 18. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Okay? Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. (laughs) Again, work is going to be painful. God intended us to work, all right? God intended us to work. He created us to do stuff. But because of sin, all of a sudden, things don't work the way it's supposed to. And and, and the ground that should just grow good stuff is now going to grow thorns and thistles. And, and, And we see this over and over and over again. You know why the copier doesn't work? Because of Adam and Eve. And blame them. And it is now demon-possessed. I know that about every copier. But do you know why the tile breaks and not the glass vase? Because of Adam and Eve. And me. 
right? Nothing works the way it's supposed to anymore. The ground doesn't grow the way it's supposed to. Uh, elevators don't work the way that. Things break. There are potholes in the road. And on the one hand, you can say, well, potholes come because the rain comes down, it freezes, expands, and it breaks. The t-. No, it, potholes come because we rebelled against God. And we brought sin into this world, and everything broke. And it just doesn't work right. All the way down the line, it just doesn't work right. We could say more, but you know, work is painful. Those, this stuff just doesn't go the way it's supposed to. And then he's going to die. And again, these are not just exclusive because Eve is going to die as well. And so Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so there's death. What broke because of sin? A relationship with God. A relationship with each other. We ended up in a battle with an enemy who can do great damage. Women struggle. And men struggle. It's all broken. It's all broken. And and like I say, I, I need you to come back next week. I need you to come back next week. Or to listen online. Because we cannot fix it. But what we start to see next week, what we're going to see when you come next week or listen next week, is that God is not done with us in this world yet, okay? Because in a sense, what God is going to do next week is he's going to get out his, his little broom. And he's going to do three things. He's going to do three things that can feel painful to us, but that are ultimately going to be the road to restore things back to the way they are. But for today... Be honest about the brokenness in the world and in you. Because when we know where we are, we can begin to find our way home. Let's pray together. Father, this is not a a fun subject to talk about. But this is so key to understanding why things are the way they are today. Father, we have a hard time trusting you. We think we know better than anybody, including you. So, Father, where you need to break us, break us. Where you need to make us new, make us new. Restore us in our relationship with you and with each other. Father, restore this creation, and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and make all things new. Father, we think of the deaths that we've experienced in this family in the last week. Three people who've been really impacted, three people whom we love have died, and and it's because of the brokenness of this world. And so bring healing and do what only you can do and make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.